With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. everybody welcome to episode four of they might be mariners lookout landings prospects minor leaguers drafts you name it they're not in the big leagues we're talking about it uh podcast my name is john troopin uh i am joined once again uh by managing editor of lookout landing kate pruser hello kate, and uh staff writer joe doyle joe howdy and we are breaking into the top 10 today for our top prospects list. Uh, I'm very excited to get into some of the more interesting names. Some of the names people I think are most familiar with, whether you're a prospect head uh, or someone who's sort of casual uh, in, in their following of the minor leagues and the draft and whatnot. But before we get into that, we're going to start with uh, some semi-breaking news, I suppose. Uh, by the time this goes up, it will probably have a little more clarity, but, uh, today, uh, ESPN's, uh, Kylie McDaniel and Jeff Passan, uh, shared some information about the ongoing negotiations between, uh, the MLB Players Association and, uh, the league itself about how they're going to administer the MLB draft, um, as part of their negotiations for, you know, how they're going to handle the shortened season and whatnot. Uh, Kate had an article go up 
a little bit after we're, or a little bit before we're recording this, rather. Um, and Kate, could you just give us sort of the highlights uh, or lowlights, I guess, <laughs> of what the what the proposal is there and what sort of some of, some of the main takeaways seem to be? Yeah, so um, right now we knew it would be a shortened draft. Uh, we knew it would be a later draft. So the mm-hmm. date that they're looking at is July, which I think makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it might even make sense just generally going forward, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. College World Series, whatnot. Yeah. Um, I've always thought a slightly later draft, giving scouts a little more time to look at players and obviously that's a necessity this year especially because uh clubs are currently barred from having any kind of contact Mm -hmm. with players um Mm -hmm. amateurs so we've got that aspect and then some not as great aspects we also i mean manfred has been pushing for a shortened draft for a while it kind of goes Mm -hmm. hand in hand with his plan to eliminate a bunch of minor league teams which is obviously somewhat controversial Um, But this is a great chance for him to, like, kind of push across a few things that he wants, um, Mm -hmm. including that shortened draft. It is drastically shorter. So the MLB draft right now has 40 rounds. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say I do think that the the upper rounds of the draft get – you get a lot of, like, legacy picks or uh, courtesy picks, I like to call them, where it's like you pick the mm-hmm. son of a scout who were, has been with the organization for a long time. It's like a lot of ba- baseball just kind of patting itself on the back a little bit that really doesn't need to happen. Mm. Just, or, you know, uh, high school kids being courtesy drafted. They were maybe projected to go in the higher round, but clubs thought they were an injury risk or like, too strong of a college commitment, um, mm. whatever, you know, so it's like, hey, we like you, but, you know, obviously no one drafted in, like, the 30th round is going to forego college if it's a highly touted player. Like, Kumar Rocker getting picked in, what was it, like, the 36th round last year, two years ago? Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, like yeah. Um, so I agree that the draft could be, could be cut down, but this is... Um, 10 is what's being proposed and it could go down to as few as five rounds which obviously would cut a lot of players out of it um and then the bonus pools would also be restricted beyond those five or 10 rounds whatever they decide to do with a hard cap being suggested of ten thousand dollars per player which is like Nothing. For, for that's undrafted, like undrafted for undrafted yeah, players. That's like what a what a Penn Murphy gets out of in like the twenty sixth round or whenever it was he was drafted. So um yeah. I know Joe has some thoughts on that, but this is pretty it's very dis disincentivizing to players to enter the draft mm-hmm. if they're not drafted highly. It will encourage a lot of high schoolers to go on to college. It will encourage encourage a lot of collegiates to return and kind of exhaust their eligibility mm-hmm. so bad plan in my opinion but uh joe is kind of our draft draft expert <laughs> i don't know about that um no i i agree with you I, I think the biggest thing with this is um the the signing bonus pools for these players at ten thousand at ten thousand dollars at least that's what's being kicked around that is such a disservice to the hundreds and hundreds of college players that have just been fringe guys just trying to get their name out there for the last you know three four five years and now it's their senior year and um they're gonna have to settle for 
simply an opportunity to, mm -hmm. to make it. I mean, I think I, I listed out some guys just from last year's draft uh, for the Mariners. After the fifth round last year, even after the 10th round, Ty Adcock in the eighth round got 150 grand. Carter Bins in the 11th round got $350,000. He was a junior sign, so it's a little bit different, but still, Carter's profile probably was never going to get him into the top five rounds even next year as a senior sign. Mm. Um, and then you got guys like Reed Morgan, Patrick Frick, Travis Kuhn. All of them were between rounds 10 and 20, and they all made upwards of hundred dollars to $125,000 in their signing bonus pools. And like that's, that's all those guys really get because yeah. once you're in right. the system, you make twenty grand a year. Yeah. So no, if, if I, that, you know. yeah, <laughs> maybe I mean, if you're like a triple A guy, that's and... what I mean. Like you, you top out at at twenty grand a year. You're making like what is it, like thirteen grand up until double yeah. A now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nothing. Yeah. So yeah, that's the disheartening part for me is these guys have really grinded their teeth and and you know pushed their way up. I personally, I think the they could limit any college signee after the draft to one hundred and twenty five grand or a hundred grand and. Uh, give them a cushiony to fall on, but I, I do like the idea of high school players being ten grand, just because yeah, I'm a big proponent of kids going to school anyways. Just you know, getting some of that experience, and um, if you're a premier high school talent, you're gonna go in the top five rounds anyways, yeah. and you're gonna be worth that money. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest travesty in it all. I guess just to me, like some kids really just aren't interested in college i'm thinking mm -hmm. of um holden laws who we we drafted a couple years ago um just academics were not his strength like he just didn't didn't really like school just wanted to play baseball but like wasn't maybe one of those premier first round talents so sure then it kind of forces a kid to go have a college education that like maybe he doesn't want really and um i don't know it just it feels limiting to me so not only is it limiting to the players who have worked really hard and um especially i think those fringe guys it just it really places even more importance on that track that you get on mm -hmm. starting really early right like if you're not born in Texas, California, or Florida, like, first of all, you're going to have a, you're, you're automatically going to have a tougher road now if the path is that much narrower. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. um, if you don't come from a family of privilege, if your family can't afford to put you on travel ball teams, if you're a late bloomer, like, it's going to affect all these guys and the, the ones who come through the traditional pipelines, like they do the showcase circuit, they're the big names, those guys are going to be fine, but a guy who might have a little bit of a tougher road, a cold weather prospect, a guy who just, for whatever reason, scouts have, he hasn't, he, he hasn't attracted a lot of buzz. Um, maybe he's not the hardest thrower, but he really knows how to pitch. Like those guys are going to get overlooked. And I just think ultimately it's going to do a big disservice to the game. I think not a lot to of guys mention, are going to be overlooked. Yeah. I mean, you might, you might even see teams shying away completely from from senior players just because there's a limited number of picks and you know a guy like Casey Opitz the catcher for Arkansas he's a great player he's right on that fringe fourth fifth round but if you know you're a team that only has five picks in the draft and 
you have this bonus pool that you can spend and there's a high schooler there in the fifth round that you're obviously not going to go out and over slot him in the 12th round now you got to take him in the fifth and then you know yeah. Casey Opitz is all of a sudden uh being making you know, $10,000 when he should have right. made you he know sh- hundreds he's Carter he's basically I mean, they're a totally different profile, but Carter Benz is a great example. Like, if that guy wouldn't, he probably wouldn't have gotten picked in the first five rounds. There's, I mean, he was picked in the eleventh round. He got three hundred and fifty grand, and he's going to get ten just because yeah. of that. I, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, it's a sticky situation, and I totally understand that it's an unprecedented year. It has to be a little bit different, um, as John pointed out, because there's just simply not enough room in the farm systems with people not moving up through the systems early in the year. Um, but still, it just seems like such a disservice to, you know, so many people. I mean, the and entire, there are so the many ramifications. Such a disservice. There's tough. so many ramifications of this too. Like if these guys remain in college and if high school players go to college, the college rosters are going to swell. So then mm-hmm. you're going to have a bunch of guys, fighting for playing time, you're going to have scouting departments stretched a little more thin because maybe a guy who is going to be like at Kentucky suddenly finds himself squeezed out of playing time and he goes to a directional school somewhere and then you can't send one scout to scout all the Kentucky players. You have to go chase this guy down at Kentucky too. So Yeah, it's trickle it's- down. It go I mean and you know the most interesting thing that I heard about it just on a on like a final note is um this would probably end up having the 2023 draft being absolutely supercharged with talent, yeah. which would, I mean, that would be kind of fun. And ideally the Mariners wouldn't be at the top of that draft, but uh, it is something to keep an eye on. There's a lot of uh, circumstances that'll kind of trickle down through all this. It's, it's definitely, I think uh, as really sort of challenging situation, no matter what, like uh, there's, there's, there has to be some sort of creative, creative solution for it. And I think there's also a challenge of like, I know division two athletes are getting an extra year of eligibility for spring sports. I don't know yet that division one has made a determination on what they're going to do. So like in theory, you could have, in fact, a lot of people say, okay, well, I will just go back to school and we'll see what happens a year from now. Um, the implication of that, though, is, oh, suddenly you have a much weaker draft pool and the you know that throws out of whack uh, you know this year's draft order and and the the teams that were maybe going to have really high picks suddenly get, you know a, a, a shallower group of of top talents to work with and Certainly the Astros would be feeling pretty good about losing their first and second round picks in a suddenly less interesting draft. So Yeah, although I, did all also, sorts of, I, I also argued in my um, article that is on the site, and you should go read, that um, each of those picks means more now because there are fewer yes. of them. So yes. losing those picks has more potential to damage the farm system. Mm-hmm. Um, I also fair. think, and this is a little tinfoil hatty that I did not talk about in the article, but uh, this a feels like four except for tinfoil <laughs> hats, tinfoil ears. Uh, there, <laughs> like I said, it's a it's an opportunity for Rob Manfred to kind of get what he has wanted all along, which is a smaller draft and um, yes. compressing the minor league system. 
but it also is a way to, if you mess with the draft like this, um, it disincentivizes teams from tanking because your draft pick won't matter as much. Like you just gotta, you're not going to restock in like a huge draft and then mm-hmm. go out and be competitive out of that. So it, mm-hmm. it does disincentivize tanking, which I know is something that that has been talked about a lot too. Yeah. Well, we will see how that pans out. Um, probably by the time this is published, there will be a formal agreement. Perhaps not, but um, we will we will certainly be talking about this in the next few months, um, particularly uh, as we as we prepare for whatever the draft may be and and the Mariners picks within. Um, but. For the moment, let's let's turn to players already in the system, and we've got uh, five guys today that we're going to chat about, um, all of whom I think are pretty pretty well known, pretty prominent, relatively, uh, and could very easily either immediately or or in the near future be impact players. Uh, or, or at least consistently present players for the Mariners. Uh, so let's start just right at number 10. Uh, we've got left-handed pitcher Justice Sheffield, as well as number 9, right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn. Um, Sheffield obviously was locked into a rotation spot to start this season, still will be whenever it gets going. Uh, Dunn... Once Taiwan Walker officially was signed, was pretty sort of locked into a Tacoma rotation spot, um, assuming health. Although, you know, now with a sort of wacky setup with regards to, uh, you know, getting games going, double headers, whatever the schedule actually looks like, we might see uh, guys like Dunn up quite quickly just to fill innings. Uh, but in a traditional season, maybe, you know, or, or looking forward to the future. Uh, do we think Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn are starting pitchers for the Mariners long term? Um, so I think that Justice Sheffield probably has a little bit better shot than Justin Dunn of sticking in in the rotation. That's just my opinion on this. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're similar players in what they have going for them and what they need to work on. Uh, mm-hmm. Most notably that the fastball command has got to improve with both players, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's um, really good fastball <clears throat> breaking ball profiles, obviously mm-hmm. from different sides um, with sort of questionable command. Yeah. I think with, with justice specifically, and this has been reported uh, the, the fastball command and the development of that changeup, I think is going to be, obviously very important in what his ceiling is. Um, The slider was good last year, if not inconsistent sometimes, Um, but it's very, uh, it's devastating against right-handers. I don't don't know why. It just seemed to me like it was an even better pitch against right-handers than it was against left-handers. And the the introduction of that two-seamer that he was working on this spring seemed to show a lot of promise. So you can't take anything from spring training other than, you know, uh, positivity and optimism, but he did look like a more refined product out there. And he had some things up his sleeve that he didn't have in 2019. So that is 
that's a, that's a strong indication for justice moving forward. I'm not sure whether or not he can hold up over 160 plus innings, uh, mm. but I don't know if that's going to matter in modern baseball. Honestly, mm. I think we're going to go in a different direction. On a just on a different note, I said in the last podcast that I think Justin Dunn ends up as the closer, or I alluded to that, and I still feel mm. that way. Um, I I really have questions with whether or not his fastball command is ever going to get to where it needs to be to pitch an entire length of a season and that being said he's got a dynamic slider he's got a dynamic changeup, and mm-hmm. he's got a hard fastball but more importantly I think Justin Dunn has the athleticism and the build to where you throw him in the bullpen you say hey man we're gonna just get you going here we want 25 of your best pitches. He seems like the type of profile that could throw 97 to 98 with a devastating slider. And if you throw that out on the mound in the eighth or the ninth inning and people have to catch up to it all of a sudden, it certainly reminds me of Edwin Diaz and how that entire thing happened. So, <laughs> you know, I think I think he's going to be the closer personally by 2022. I just don't see that. I don't know. I I just think he has a starter's mentality. I mean, this is probably reading too much into that side of things, but just the way that he goes about his business, the way that he talks about his craft, the way that he thinks and approaches, I, I don't know that I feel comfortable saying I feel like he has a... I feel like he has a higher ceiling than Sheffield. Um, and more potential to get at what he's got. And I feel when I'm looking at the Yankees development versus the Mets development, I feel more confident that the Yankees have pulled what they could kind of pull out of Sheffield. And that's why they felt like he was a good trade candidate. Whereas um, I'm not sure that the Mets were maximizing what they had in Justin Dunn and um, I'm excited to continue to watch him develop. I think he came a long way in just a year. Um, but yeah, I just, ever, he, he feel, he, he, he feels like a starter to me. Um, obviously the command is going to be the thing that is the issue with him, but I just, I, I'm not sure too, if he has, cause he is kind of a lighter guy. Like, I'm not sure if you tell him to go out there and throw as hard as he can if he's able to crank it up to 97 or whatever we want closers throwing at these days. So I, I, I'm going to put myself in the directly opposite camp to that one. Um, I hope Sheffield figures it out. I have higher hopes for Dunn. Uh, what do you think, this is to John and Kate, what do you think the ceiling for someone like Sheffield is? Because when we acquired him, he was a... A number two by some publications. Um, some publications had him as a relief pitcher, but at this point, now with a little more than a year under his belt with the team, uh, what what is his what is his glass ceiling? What I think it depends on what you consider a player like Kenta Maeda to be. Because that's what I see, sort of the profile. Up, I see as. Maeda as an upper tier mid rotation starter. Like on some teams, I think he would be a number two, but right. on a good team, I think he's a three four. Right. So I I I think that that is 
where you could hope to see Sheffield. He's got an absolutely dynamic out pitch with the slider um, that he can sort of vary the the sort of profile of a bit. You know, he can have this sort of absolutely knockout swing and miss version and he can also have a slightly tighter sharp you know smaller movement one that he i think can locate for a strike a bit more um and if the sinker that he's been working on in fact uh manifests long term he has the ability to shorten plate appearances by getting ground balls and getting uh sort of out of out of danger uh at times, even if he has slightly below average command, which I think is a lot to ask him to really fully, you know, work past. But, you know, if he is like a little over a strikeout per inning, walk every three innings or so kind of guy, and he's, you know, just got a good defense behind him, I think that that's someone who throws 150 to 170 innings per year and is pretty dang good during those innings and you just kind of you know you have to work around that you just have to make sure you have the bullpen or the you know the rest of a team that can accentuate for that and say like okay well we have someone who can go we have a couple people who can go multiple innings and at least one of them is always relatively ready when justice is pitching because yeah you know and but you know i mean that i think that sort of profile like Joe said, I think that works in the modern game in a way that it wouldn't have, you know, a decade ago, much less two, three decades ago. Um, I think Nate Carnes was a person that we sort of mentioned and Eric Bedard's another person we, we've sort of talked about. And like, neither of those are particularly sort of flattering comparisons, but like Nate Carnes had a ton going for him, except that he got hurt. Justice Sheffield, for all his sort of flaws, hasn't really had much injury concern. I think he had like some shoulder soreness like two years ago, and it hadn't really flared up since. Eric Bedard was a very good pitcher who just didn't throw 200 innings and was like never expected to throw 200 innings. Um, and if you can sort of deal with that, then okay, you know, you you plan for that. I think he can be very successful um, with the right sort of framework around him. Kate, what what do you think there? Yeah, I, I like the comparison to a, a Kintameda as far as, like, his absolute ceiling. I think um, I would be over the moon thrilled if that was it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Certainly, that that that's a that is a very positive outcome. I will I, settle I for clear. slightly better than Nate Carnes, but also, I mean, I will admit some bias in this. Just that um, Swanson didn't turn out to be anything other than a long reliever, so it would feel sad to have traded away James Paxton for two middle relievers. So. Mm-hmm. Really, really, just want justice to stick in that role. Certainly. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that's the nice thing about this is more than anything, I think Justice Sheffield needs time to try and be a starting pitcher in the Yeah, big can leagues. we remind and ourselves of how old he is again? He uh, is this tw- will be his age 24 season. Yeah, I mean, he is small compared to 
some of I think how long he has been around in the prospect pipeline, like being tough. If there's an, I I'm not sure I can think of somebody with a bigger case of prospect quote unquote prospect fatigue around he's, him. He's than, pitching jerks and profar like. Yes, jerks and profar. Yes, that's a very good example. Hopefully with better results. Mm. <laughs> um, so. With regards to uh, essentially Dunn's profile uh, long term, Joe, you obviously see him as someone who could be a very good reliever. Um, Kate, I think you, you see him as more likely to stick in the rotation uh, than Sheffield. What do you expect that we can see in 2020 i guess what would you guys want to see from him in 2020 um and uh, assuming i I think it's safe to assume he would start with the rainiers in triple a or or whatever that looks like in this environment for me personally if if justin dunn is going to stay in the starting rotation uh and it goes along the same vein as as the walks i want to see him Get ahead of batters early in counts. I know that's redundant. Uh, get ahead of get ahead of batters, <laughs> and I want to see him be able to throw his secondary stuff uh, to get ahead. The fastball is is. I mean, he throws ninety five. He can touch ninety six. It's great, but if you can't land the changeup or you can't land the slider as a first pitch, people are going to catch up to it. Um, this the stuff is so good. I mean, you saw how much trouble he got in in the big leagues last year, it, it, he didn't throw that many innings, but if you watched those innings, you would never have said, yeah, he pitched to a 2.7 ERA. I mean, the stuff is just so good that he can get out of some really nasty jams that he puts himself in, but if he can get ahead of hitters and he can use that secondary stuff to kind of work backwards and redefine his, his put-away pitch, I mean, he could be one of those pitchers that uses the high fastball after using a couple breaking balls to get ahead to put guys away. So vary the pitch mix a little bit, but more than anything, stay away from hitters counts. And, um, I, you know, I think that would raise his ceiling for me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, well, let's move then to our next pair of players here. Uh, We talked, obviously, about two guys who have made their big league debuts. Uh, Now let's go to a couple people who have barely, uh, barely begun their major league, or, well, made their professional journeys uh, as players. Uh, We've got number eight, 
left-handed pitcher Brandon Williamson. And number seven, uh, shortstop Noel V. Marte. Uh, so two players, Williamson, 2019 draftee, second-round pick, uh, and Marte, a uh, 2018 international free agency signing uh, who had his first year in, in the league uh, last year uh, and was the... Uh, I believe the Dominican Summer League MVP. He was he was certainly the um, the Mariners MVP. Uh, no, he was. I think I'm pretty sure it was the whole DSL. I believe it was. MVP. Someone was very angry, if I'm not mistaken. Someone. Uh, no, angry. it was. They were angry that Julio Julio was the mm, DSL MVP. Gotcha. Okay. It was a, it My was apologies. Maybe a cardinal. It was a Cardinals fan. Who yeah. I was um, mad that their their big their two big guys didn't win it over Julio, and then Julio just went out sorry and destroyed. Yeah, sorry about not it. sorry about it. Not sorry about um, it. At all. Who uh, Noel V Marte? I must say, is currently my teammate at AAA Tacoma. Oh, in, in the show? Road to the Show. Yes, <laughs> yeah, let me we, tell we, you, yeah. those developers did not skimp on the nose. They were like, if we're getting one thing right. Nor did the the develop uh, the fir- the original developer <laughs> uh, on on Mr. Noel V. Marte. If I'm no, that is, that is true. He has got quite a honker, quite and uh, the they they call him Nariz nose in Spanish. Mm. That is, which is seems to be like sort of a loving. He he has a large nose. Um. He so, has the face to carry it off, though. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm disparaging. So, <laughs> there's a good save. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. let's start with Marte. Um, Kate, you talked with Noel V. Marte uh, when uh, down in Arizona. Um, obviously, none of us have seen him play really in live games because he's only played in the Dominican and in some you know brief uh, like scrimmages or whatever uh, in Arizona. Um, but. Can you just give give me like a rundown on what what makes Noel V. Marte seventeen year old kid, maybe eighteen now, I'm not entirely sure. Um what makes him such an exciting prospect and why uh why he I think has been on a couple like top one hundred lists nationally already, despite not playing a game stateside? Yeah, it's the it's the power. I mean, in in prospecting, power talks, and mm-hmm. it is the power combined with uh, a pretty good eye at the plate. He really doesn't strike out that much. He takes his walks. Mm-hmm. He's a disciplined hitter, but he does have that power, and it's power at all fields. So, um, you know, the the bat is going to carry him wherever he winds up defensively. Mm-hmm. The prospect evaluators who are a little low on Marte, and I think Fangraphs is, um, they just really hate our our style of, no wonder Longenhagen got very tinfoil hatty saying the Mariners are messing with other teams, scouting by promoting players, you know, for spot starts at AAA or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's not why they do that. Um but yeah, I think that that's a very frustrating team to have to write about if they're not just the one team you have to follow all the time, which is us, because there have been some questions about, well, Marte was so, you know, he overmatched that that level was too easy for him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they should have they should have sent him up and the Mariners will just not do that. Like, 
Well, and it's up. the same thing that happened with Julio Rodriguez. Like it was the, the same thing that happened with Julio. They, it's, uh, the only guys that they will promote are guys who are maybe a little older at their like time Di- of the like signing. Dyson Arias didn't play in the Dominican League, if I recall correctly. Or or if he did, he very briefly. But I'm, he was like 20 I mean, he was definitely there in training. I can look this up, but... Um, I mean, I I know he spent time there, so maybe it was just tra- anyway. A huge part of what they want to do with the Dominican Academy is give these guys like a foundation and uh, inculcate to them some of the organizational values. So that's why was the DSL too easy for Noel Vimarte? Probably, like he easily could have been challenged at another level. But the Mariners are willing to slow play a prospect in their first year and not rush them and kind of move them quickly once they're stateside, but really give them that time to adjust, to teach them about what being a professional ball player means, to teach them what being a Seattle Mariner means. Mm-hmm. And they really build this like sense of community and camaraderie there mm-hmm. um, and still provide plenty of links. So like Noel V was at the high performance camp and he roomed with Julio Rodriguez and he's very much like kind of modeled himself on that path. And then you have the ball players who are like a year down who are looking at Noel V and they're modeling, you know, and then you have guys who aren't even in the system yet. Like, um, Starling Aguilar, who hasn't even been signed. The Mariners are the favorites to sign him, but he's looking at all those guys. So it's just like making this chain down the line. Um, I think that if you hit well in the DSL, you can hit well in the AZL. Like, I don't I don't know how much. Yes, the pitching is more challenging stateside, but um, I think anyone who saw Marte hit, like, that's just, it's not just that he is over. That's not where he's going to be challenged, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's got to be higher levels where he's going to be challenged, especially because yes. he has the speed to leg out, you know, weaker. Yeah, and that. I think that that's, other, yes. I am not wrong. Dyson did play yes, in the DSL. Yes, you're correct. You're correct. Yes, that's that. um, my favorite. My favorite phrase. <laughs> Kate was right. Um, so yeah, I think that what's it? What really? What scouts really seem to like about Marte is not just the power, but the power speed combo. So for a big guy, he runs really well. Is really mm-hmm. smart on the bases. Um, what I what surprised me about Noel V. Marte when I met him was he was not at all what I was expecting because his social media presence is very restrained in a lot of ways. He doesn't, like, he was like, he he won't do, like, the viral challenges that are going around and stuff. He's pretty, he, he's, he keeps it pretty buttoned up. Um, so I expected him to be, like, kind of shy, a little quiet. His English is also definitely not where Julio's was at this point last year, not to create an unfair comparison between the two of them, but just Noelvi didn't have the advantage of having taken classes as a young kid, so he's a little bit, um, I would say, more where the average player is, if not a little above. But, you know, you can't be expecting a Julio-like, you know, long, discursive discussions in English. Mm-hmm. Um He's extremely thoughtful. He's a very mature, composed person. He takes a lot of personal responsibility. He's very intentional in everything that he does. Um, And he's very deep. Like, he had some... 
He has some really interesting things to say, which I will type up. I have been sitting on this interview since the Fall League, uh, and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of content we need right now, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just he surprised me with his depth and his maturity, and and how uh, kind of the still still river still rivers still waters run deep, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super excited to watch him whenever we get to see him again. Um. So the concern with Marte is, you know, and it's the concern, you know, the concern with this 17, 18 year old kid who, you know, is, is probably not done growing, much less done developing, uh, has been, okay, he has great speed. He's got fabulous, you know, sort of power and, and, you know, reasonable, uh, instinct, good bat speed. Is he able to stick at shortstop? Because there were a fair number of mistakes um, in in the Dominican, and that is really, I think, we generally are very wary of um, any sort of numbers that come out of the Dominican, not because they're wrong, but just because when you have someone like Marte, who, as you said, is so much more physically developed than, you know, the people he's playing against then and and like the average fastball in the Dominican is at 88 miles per hour I think um according to baseball america like there's there's not necessarily you know that's not necessarily getting the sort of full uh sense of where where a guy's aiming right. to develop but s- sort of scouts that we have read and and people that we've heard from said his glove work was not great and his footwork was not great at the start of the year and supposedly that that improved but you know is is there do you guys have a sense joe do you think that Marte seems like he's on track to stick in the infield because obviously that would make his you know trajectory to the big leagues much smoother uh, and put less pressure on the bat uh, and his and his just general offensive profile yeah, I think uh, reports that I read, and uh, I don't remember the coach that was down. I talked to a coach that was down there towards the la- uh, latter half of the year last mm-hmm. year. And, um, yeah, they said that things had begun to clean up there over the last few weeks of the season. So that's that's really good to hear. Um, I, there, If he sticks at shortstop, I think that all will be dependent on how he grows. I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be based on whether he can handle the position because right now at the size that he's at, I know he's only 18, but he has the lateral mobility to get to most balls that uh, from what I've read, and he's got a huge arm. So he'll be able to stick at the position if he doesn't outgrow it. The thing with me that I, like you said, I, I think you can really discount not being able to play great defense right now as a 17 or 18 year old. Um, yeah. One, one comparison that I found kind of interesting I was talking to someone on Twitter about is uh, Trevor Story and you can never want to put Trevor Story as a label on what he's going to be because that's not fair at all but when Trevor Story was drafted out of high school as an 18 year old and played his first year at 18 he was he was fielding ground balls at like a 915 rate like that's really bad yeah Uh, yeah and Noel V Marte was at 895 last year which is I mean I'm not it's not good um, but if 
Trevor Story can get to the point where he's a big leaguer and he's now in the 980s range and every year he got a little bit better. I, I don't think it's hard to, you know, see with hard work Noel V. Marte getting there as well. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you saw Marco Luciano with the Giants last year go from like mm, 95 to 115 in the rankings in the preseason to he's in some people's top 10 now because mm-hmm. he gets monster exit velos. He runs well and he plays a reasonable shortstop. Mm-hmm. Noel V. Marte is built to have that exact same trajectory where he shows up in West Virginia and he just tears the cover off the ball or he does Arizona and tears the cover off the ball, finishes the year at, you know, a ball and his ascent could be massive uh, this year. So take, I take a little bit away from the defense for now and just see how he d- handles things in 2020 at the, at the position. And if he, if he has to move because he's, you know, 215 pounds by the end of the year, then he has to move. I will say, um, and I think, like you said, like the bat can cover up a lot of shortfall um, defensively. If you are a super above average bat, like we can kind of hold your nose about the defense a little, right? Um, He has trimmed down noticeably from when he was drafted. He says he's eating, the Mariners taught him how to eat um, without so much fat. He's eating a lot of leaner meats now. Um, cause he does have the kind of a body that can carry a lot of weight. It can bulk up. Um, he's a big kid, but he has really, and I think that was part of the reason he was at a high performance camp is he's just gotten pretty shredded over the past year or so. He's pretty narrow hipped now, but like broad shouldered, um, just strong, lean and strong, much much more so than um, in pictures that I looked at at his earlier signing days. He's mm-hmm. carrying well, a fair amount of baby fat around. Um, so he he's definitely a lean, mean machine. I watched him take some infield practice at spring training, the <laughs> lone practice day that I got, uh, in which I saw both these players, actually, Brandon Williamson and Noel V. Um, he was working at second, so that is a big caveat but I thought he looked and it was it was rough it was rough out there um he just didn't and again he was working at second not at short but he was making mistakes and he was uh, vocal about it and taking instruction from Lewis Boyd who is a very gifted defensive coach a very gifted infielder must which also must have been frustrating because Boyd would be there and he'd make like the perfect play and Noel V would just kind of look at him like <laughs> how did what yeah oh yeah just do that okay uh which I talked to him a little bit after and he was like blown away by how good Boyd was out there um well, that's the kind of thing you want to see right have... like you know if yeah you're, absolutely if you're, it's sort of you know whether it's a coach <clears throat> or another player right like you want yeah no, you, you want, want those young, really talented players to see, like, I still have a long ways to go. Yeah. Um, and and to see what the standard looks like. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is what the standard of a, a professional, you know, guy who mm-hmm. didn't make it that high in the system. But, you know, but, if his bat hit, was... You know, that well. But. <laughs> he literally cannot hit at all. Yeah. Uh, if, and if he had been able to hit even a little, you know, would probably mm-hmm. still be playing right now. Yeah. Um, what I noticed about Marte is like his length is a lot in his legs. He's just tall, like, but he's got super long legs and he's got a long torso. 
and I know he hinges forward at the waist and he doesn't really get down in his legs as much as you'd like him to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is just, it's just going to be, and I, from what I could observe, you know, from across the field, that looked to be like what Boyd was teaching him. Boyd was kind of teaching him how to be more efficient with his path to the ball. Like, Novi would throw one way and Boyd would correct him and be like, no, we want to, you you can save time and be be more accurate if you just flip it like this. And so I think a little bit of it is just having better coaches is going to improve him and just kind of yeah, increasing that comfort. <laughs> yeah, uh, not not better necessarily, but maybe working with guys who are a little higher in the food chain um, in the organization and mm-hmm. getting in that focus. I mean, you can only work on so many things at, at once, right? Like, right. So yeah, if that's you, what he focuses wanna, on, yeah. on in the AZL with some of the great coaches that we have there, then I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Well, let's shift then to the other person who you saw and who, who is, uh, in, in this group here, uh, our eighth overall prospect, uh, lefty pitcher Brandon Williamson. So Williamson is a unless you made it to Everett at the right time last year, you probably have not seen much of Brandon Williamson. Um, I don't. Joe, did you get a chance to actually see Williamson at Everett? Yeah, yeah. last year. Okay, you did. Okay. Yeah, well, I got two innings in. Um, so. I, from both you, Joe, and then Kate, I want to hear about your sort of quick what you saw in his bullpen. What has changed to make Brandon Williamson not just essentially what he was on draft day, which was like kind of an you know injury worry, tall but low nineties lefty uh, who it wasn't totally clear you you know what what they had in him when they took him in the second round uh, into people are now talking about him as a fringe top 100 guy and someone who if development breaks the right way and if he's able to be healthy knock on wood um you know looks like they could be a a starting pitcher for the Mariners long term well i the durability concern is something that will obviously need to be watched but it, they weren't arm injuries so that's yeah, something he, that he you tore can... both his hip labrums. Yeah, how I believe do you dunking do that? a basketball, I believe, is what. Oh was, yeah, that's how I tore my mistaken. labrums too. Yeah, you know, just a cool, just just six six guy things. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I do uh, the same thing, reaching for <laughs> pots and pans above my fridge. <laughs> Five nine things. Anyways, uh, <laughs> with with Brandon, I think the thing that sticks out is. The entire track record of him at TCU was 90 to 92, touching 93. Good slider, good breaking ball, had a hard time commanding both, but they showed good shape and a changeup that he mixed in here and there. In Everett, he was pumping. And here's the thing that makes it tricky. He, you know, he'd go out and pitch anywhere between one and three innings, but in those short stints, he was like 94 to 96. He touched 97. He was landing the curveball and the breaking ball for strikes consistently with ease. He wasn't walking batters. 
and the changeup was still just an average changeup, but that is a full arsenal. Um, so, you know, there's there's people in the organization that think Williamson, at, at the time, this is like early August, mid-August, he was the best starting pitching prospect in the organization. And that's with Logan Gilbert involved. Now, at this point, I don't think that's, I don't think anybody would say that because the way Gilbert looked this spring, um, it, it, it's hard to make that argument. Gilbert looks mm-hmm. like a true possible ace. But for someone to come out and say that he's in the same conversation as Gilbert and even more so you know, ahead of Kirby really says a lot. The thing that's going to be interesting with Brandon Williamson is going to be can he can he continue to throw the breaking balls for strikes and can he bury them when he needs to? Because if they're better than above average offerings, if they're 55 grade offerings and he can couple that with a surprise fastball that is, you know, even 92 to 95 uh, from the left side, that that's a really, really exciting profile. And the comparison that I got uh, from Brian DeLunis was he does feel like what James Paxton was before James Paxton took that next step and found more velo and found the knuckle curve and things like that. So, you know, if Brandon Williamson ends up being James Paxton light, that is, that's obviously a huge win. skinny. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he is, they're both really, really tall, lanky lefties that uh, come out from that huge three-quarter arm slot. So I could see it. And I'm, I'm a, obviously, I think I was the high man on Brandon Williamson and in the entire yeah. staff, so yeah, definitely. I see more Chris Sale in Brandon Williamson's frame than I do James Paxton, but I would be excited to see if he can uh, bulk up like Pax and maybe add some of that the, consistent uh, ability to hold the velo because obviously that's what you're talking about, right? It's just short, short stints that we've seen him in. Right, but I mean, if the floor is potential closer slash uh, late inning reliever with him, I mean, you're not hurting yourself so much in that draft because we also have George Kirby, we also have Isaiah Campbell. Like, we don't need all of those guys to hit as much. Yeah, they they stocked up pretty. They leaned real heavily on pitching in that in the in that group, and and. A draft historically known as being weak on pitching, which was an interesting zag when everyone else was zigging. Yeah, I mean, that is really where the the Mariners are going to make or break, right? You know, it is they bought in very heavily on we can develop these specific traits, you know, off of these specific traits in pitchers. And they've had, they've seen success in that, particularly with bullpen guys, um, and most of that has been they didn't have non you know better than bullpen talents in their system necessarily by the time they had this this uh, player dev group fully established. So this is where it has to be, right? It has to be the Brandon Williamsons. It has to be the George Kirby's, the Logan right. Gilberts, the you know the Michael E. Mancelli's, you know the the Sam Carlson's and. Um, you know, the guys who, the, you know, Justice Sheffields and, and Justin Dunn's even, you know, those are the guys who they have to make their hay with because, you know, okay, you've got your people in place. You know, you've got universally regarded solid talents. Now you have to 
make you know make what they should be or more out of that because that's that's where they've invested sort of really heavily um with uh with regards to uh williamson just before we before we move to our our last player um I, I thought I thought it was very interesting hearing you guys sort of do the Paxton sale sort of comparison there. Um, obviously, the curveball is sort of the most exciting breaking pitch uh, there for uh, for Williamson. Um, just for purely not necessarily an aesthetic, but like personal preference like style of left-handed pitcher because there there have been several notable lefties who are huge tall guys with this great stuff do you, would you you know in a vacuum rather see a guy like Williamson coming from like a real tall uh, angle like Paxton does or from that like almost sidearm angle like sale or randy johnson like what what do you just purely aesthetically prefer to watch um in in a lefty uh well watching the watching a chris sale slider is you just feel bad for the batters (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i mean that's that's just a creature of its own but i've always really liked the high arcing you know barry zito left-handed curveball type of thing like mm-hmm. that read like the reed detmers curveball mm-hmm. that it's just mm-hmm. it's beautiful it's a beautiful curveball it's beautiful mm-hmm. to watch it even it's, if it, it's gonna i mean that's gonna make clayton kershaw a hall of famer right yeah like clayton kershaw another great example the top curve yeah um so i think just the prototypical 12-6 from the left side would be my vote mm-hmm. even if it gets crushed it's really pretty to watch that's that's why <laughs> i watch good the dodgers coming in. That's, Looks why, good that's why i watch even. the dodgers every october <laughs> Oh, oh oh man joe <laughs> on opening rough. day i mean i agree with joe's <laughs> overall sentiment maybe not that last part but uh <laughs> i i agree i love the aesthetics of just a hammer i love a hammer curve when paxton was just breaking off those hammer curves in his what what was it 14k game 12k whatever it was yeah um the massive yeah Randy right. Johnson, they were replaying his 20K game, mm-hmm. um, is, I wouldn't call it aesthetically pleasing to watch. It is terrifying. He's a brutalist um, pitcher. Brutal. I think yeah, brutalist. If we're doing architectural <laughs> styles, yes, Randy Johnson <laughs> is something the German expressionists dreamed up. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's frightening. Like I I do like I think the slightly more gentlemanly elegance of the hammer curve where it just falls through the trapdoor at the end. Did you did you guys see the uh I hadn't seen it. The Randy Johnson slider that Oh, uh, the Rob recent Friedman, ninja that Rob Friedman posted the other yeah. day that it almost went between the guy's legs and he panic swung at it. <laughs> <laughs> and he jumped over it. Yep, yep, yep. I hadn't seen it before. Before neither had I. Posted. It was unbelievable. I mean, just <laughs> comical. What? Yeah, no. I. What an outrageous, like thing, to have just been commonplace for like <laughs> two decades. Just yeah. oh, you have like a literal like historical giant on the mound throwing the ball harder than anyone else 
and he might know where it's going. And then he'll also, you know, it looks also like he's Also an releasing. element of the terror. Yeah, and the slider. I mean, you know, I I remember Randy Johnson as a Mariner. I remember I was at a game at the Kingdom where he pitched. But, like, I was very young. So, like, much of my Randy Johnson memory is of him with the Diamondbacks and with the Yankees. And, like, later, like, not quite the the you know zenith of randy johnson as a true force of nature good and bad um so yeah when i uh when i was really young and in my playing days i remember the first time uh i think it was like eighth grade the we we ran into a pitcher on on my team that threw 90 Mm -hmm. and this is one of the more embarrassing moments of my upbringing but i why was the second baseman and i specifically asked the coach i was like Coach, I don't want to play today. I <laughs> I am not interested in you being were, in the lineup. You had good I'll, sort of self-preservation. Self-preservation. And the same thing happened in seventh grade when I was like 105 pounds and the coach called a receiver reverse mm-hmm. and I was a receiver. I asked to be taken out of the game because I had no interest in taking that you know, out of the backfield. And I can only imagine that's how John Crook and all these guys felt yeah having to step in the box against that guy and they're grown men absolutely not absolutely it's sad to me that chris sale is has just fallen off so quickly um because the experience of being like oh god not chris sale and just watching him mow through i mean it was absolute dread because he was pitching always Mm -hmm. when i watched mostly i guess when i watched him pitching against us and mowing through various hapless Mariner lineups. So I mean, it, uh, it really it's, is. It's it's the closest thing to Randy Johnson that I yeah. think people... You know, just unhittable. Yeah. Absolutely. When he was on, just absolutely unhittable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. boy, I'd sure like to have that sometime. I feel like we've done so much as Mariner yeah. fans with like so mm-hmm. little as far as pitching. Like mm-hmm. we are willing to crown soft-tossing Marco Gonzalez an ace. Like <laughs> we're that yeah. desperate. So mm-hmm. it would just be so nice to have somebody who you could roll out and was just filth every fifth day or something. And I know we had Felix for a long time. That could be that. That's kind of my to- only reservation with Seattle taking Reed Detmers is – you're drafting a really polished guy, but you're not going to see anything more than 92 unless Gas Camp turns something on for him. I mean, you're going to get that just gorgeous curveball, mm-hmm. but he's never gonna, you're not going to be drafting a pitcher at number six that ever is going to blow anyone away. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, well, um, I mean, that was a big, like, was it last year? I mean, year, unless Ryan, you can get Jared Was last year Kelly. Ryan Rollison or it was two years ago Ryan Rollison, who was like heavily mocked and like targeted by the Mariners? And it's like, it's the same profile. It's like this person's mm-hmm. probably going to be a major leaguer mm-hmm. and probably not super exciting. I mean, that was Marco Gonzalez, like yeah. Eight I mean, years ago. there was Ryan Weathers was last year. Ryan yeah. Rollison was two years ago, and yes, unfortunately for for Rollison, another another one is David Peterson. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, who, I remember. The yeah, Absolutely. David Peterson, mm-hmm. and Rollison finally got to that high A level last year and ran into a brick wall. So. Yeah. I don't know. The pitches have to be good. You got to have kind of that Marco ingredient of a good cutter to mm-hmm. mix with the good curveball and high fast. Yeah, got to be careful. Give me Jared Kelly, please. If we're gonna look for who I think the 
the arm in this 2020 draft is with the most chance of like blossoming into that who's being talked about mm. in the top rounds like and a prep player that I wouldn't that I would feel a prep pitcher that I would feel comfortable with like mm-hmm. are you uh, making that to, investment in I like him are you willing to live with potentially a decade of Jared Kelly Jared Kelnick like <laughs> JK's yeah, the killer, like the the JK's, killer JK's the jokester like the jokes. JK squared yeah. oh, oh God. man I mean I wasn't even prepared to live through the Jose Siri yeah well uh, and you didn't have to <laughs> and I no didn't have to do it for long yeah mm-hmm. uh speaking of outfielders with all kinds of tools and, <laughs> oh nice uh sort of winding paths to uh the top levels of the league uh, our final player on the list today, uh, number six, outfielder Kyle Lewis. Uh, Kyle, one of the probably the best part about last year, I would, I mean, for I, I don't know, you guys may feel differently, or or there may have been individual moments, but like there was nothing cooler about the 2019 season, which didn't have a lot cool about it, than like. I stayed like Isabel and I stayed up late to watch Kyle Lewis's debut. We were really excited. Like the Mariners hadn't had sort of a top pick in a while, sort of make it and, and stick. Um, and to have him, yes, you know, it was weird and not super sustainable, but like from a pure excitement standpoint, like it was so, gratifying i guess like did you guys sort of have this sense of like this is this is what a rebuild is all about you know to to a sense of uh you know with kyle lewis getting getting to the bigs last year no i mean no (laughs) sorry uh i a mariner fan can have a little top prospect succeeding in limited amounts as a treat Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that i mean it was like here's this it felt like the universe saying here's this balm for witnessing this incredibly painful year of baseball we're really sorry about the 13 and 0 did not mean to let that happen someone was asleep on the controls Uh, should not have happened. Uh, the management apologizes. Please enjoy this, this appetizer plate of Kyle Lewis dingers as a, you know, thank you for your continued patronage. That was how that felt. Like, I don't expect that to continue at the same level. That being said, I'm still excited to see a player who is, has been drafted, developed entirely by this front office, mm-hmm. make it Literally up to the, the major league Literally the first player level. drafted by this front office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will not really be excited, though, until Logan Gilbert gets up. Like, that is... Because, unfortunately, it's not his fault, but Kyle Lewis just had... I mean, he, he ran into that buzzsaw of the injury, and it's been a pretty difficult developmental path, so... It for me, it's really gonna take until there's Gilbert up and Evan White and yes, Kyle Lewis and like a few other just pure homegrown players before I'm like, mm, that's a spicy rebuild. <laughs> I thought the uh, I th- I thought Kyle Lewis coming up and hitting all those bombs in like ten games was one of the cooler moments in a few years. Yeah, Kate. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> 
Hell this is so odd. I'm usually like hey, blowing sunshine up everyone's asses. It's totally okay to like not think Kyle Lewis is going to be the second coming, but I mean, you got to take the good moments as a Mariners fan when you get them. I think that it was a lot of, and especially last year when we were trying to enjoy the hot start mm. and everyone was like, this is unsustainable. The Mariners will break your heart. I was so tired of that and reacted so like strongly to that that when it happened again, I was just like, ah, no, nah, I can't, mm, can't, you know, can't get too invested in this. Kind of a microcosm of that is Kyle Lewis coming up, and for some reason, like half of the industry just decided to go, yeah, but the power's not real. The exit velocities aren't real. That's so weird. He's, and I'm just like, have no, but has nobody watched him play? I mean, there are obvious, there's faults in his swing, and there are issues with his plate discipline. And yeah, Joe, you you had actually a really good piece, sort of breaking down. The, yeah, the, I mean, there the development there of his swing. Right there, there are warts. I believe a piece be that was struggles. referenced on MLB <clears throat> Network in one of our cooler, cooler moments as a site. Yeah. But the thing is, like, warts and everything totally aside, he's six foot four. He's two hundred and twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. He's gonna hit the hell out of the ball, and mm-hmm. his exit velos are very, very real. He had the highest barrel percentage of anybody in baseball mm-hmm. from the time he got called up until the end of the year. And number two was Nelson Cruz, and number three <laughs> was Joey Gallo. So he hit the ball very, very hard. Yeah. Now, as far as what his future with the team looks like um he's got the arm to play the outfield i don't know if the defense it's probably a little bit below average it's probably not quite what we were expecting when he got drafted as a center fielder but mm-hmm. the bat is going to have to be he's not going to embarrass him. himself in, in no corner definitely not i the fan graphs thing that was posted the other day let me see if i can just pull it up and kind of reference it mm-hmm. they said on balance Lewis is probably a 45 player, a 1.5 war player during his prime years of control. He's got plus plus impact power and could get hot and make some all-star teams along the way. That, I could not say it any better. I think that's spot on. I think at his peak, he's probably going to be 1.5 to 2 war. He's probably going to be a 240 hitter, 238 hitter, and he hits 30 to 35 bombs. And when Julio and Kellenic come up, whether or not Hanniger's still with the team, whether or not Seattle spends on another outfielder altogether, he's probably going to be a designated hitter unless he finds more contact. Um, but even then, it's such a cool story. I mean, the guy has been through so much. He's got an awesome, an awesome personality. He's a very wholesome kid. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to watching him hit. I'm praying not for the future of the Mariners not for the future of you know the outfield or anything I'm praying that he hits enough to stay with the team this year because he's just really he's just really fun to watch I wholeheartedly agree I mean would when going into this winter I was thinking well it was really great you know and I loved it and and it made me very happy he should probably start in Tacoma in all the same to start 2020 and the team was talking about well he's probably he's going to be the starting left fielder he's going to be the starting left fielder and then Mitch Hanniger got hurt and the the issue sort of it, it seemed resolved itself um 
I guess, do you guys see... Do you guys think he should be just starting in the minors to start this season? Or do you think, like, those warts that he has, but also that, you know, that impressive uh, top-level talent um, when he does make contact with the ball, do you think that that just needs to be worked out at the big league level at this point? I'm personally impartial about whether he starts at AAA or the big leagues because personally, I think Kyle Lewis is a little bit closer to a finished product than a lot of people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. The, the the issues that he has right now have always been issues, and he now has uh, more than a couple years under his belt where he's been playing consistent baseball. He's seen, you know, uh, a year and a half of Double A pitching. Triple A is just going to bloat his numbers a little bit to where mm. I think you're not going to get an ac- accurate yes, representation of what he's going to be. Bloat! I say bloat away! <laughs> I want to see the bloating. <laughs> Fatten it up. I mean, he toiled all that time in Double A in that awful park. Like, I think Kyle Lewis deserves a tour of the PCL. It doesn't have to be for long. Come on. Don't you agree? Like, don't you think he, of all people, deserves to get to just go smash a gazillion foot homer in El Paso? <laughs> I, I tell you what. If you take Kyle Lewis out of the current Mariners lineup and you stick Braden Bishop in it, I dare you to find a cleanup hitter. Because that is... <laughs> that is one boring lineup without Kyle Lewis in it. So, I don't know. Excuse it, it me, would be one cool. large adult son would like a word. <laughs> yeah, he hit like 190, though. No, I, I agree with you, though. Like, I will say that I was tuning into those games towards the end of last season with an interest in watching Kyle Lewis play because yeah. he was young and exciting. And mm-hmm. what I'm missing out on right now, what I feel like I'm missing out on, is getting to see Evan White have his opening day moment. Like, getting to see Kyle Lewis, like, getting to, and knowing that those guys are, like, best friends and, um, you know, weren't, well, Kyle was in Evan's wedding. Um, Just, yeah, I was, I'm I'm really feeling like we're missing out on that. But first he can go hit a couple big bombs in AAA. The the big league team is going to suck with or without him. Yeah. Yeah, I I like the uh I'm gl- I'm glad you mentioned Nelson Cruz, Joe, cuz I I don't think that that's really like that that is an immense amount to ask for anyone cuz Cruz has been just so c- sort of consistent for so long. Oh yeah. Um Well, you and I talked uh and I don't mean to cut your thought off, but no, you no. and I talked about him being like Jorge Soler is mm-hmm. what I think would be the optimal outcome, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it took Soler like three or four big league seasons to finally hit 270. He was 230 to 240 most of his career. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it took three organizations? Two two or three organizations. I mean, it, it was like it, four. And, and really, I mean, it took Nelson Cruz a really long time. Like, Nelson Cruz was a Mets prospect for a while and, like, debuted quite late, like, Nelson Cruz has been pretty extraordinary ever since he's been in the big leagues, but like it took him a really long time to be consistent because I think guys that big and that um, you know athletic don't always have 
the easiest time adjusting to the top quality uh, competition. But that doesn't mean that they are finished products in the same way. I, you know, I think you you mentioned like he's close to being a finished product in the sense that like he can handle velocity, he can handle you know he has the right mentality. But like it's really just a reps issue in my mind, and and I would not hate it if he went to AAA, but like. On this Mariners team, especially if Hanniger's still, you know, not back whenever the season starts, like, put him out there. It doesn't really, like, you let him succeed, you let him fail, you let him keep working through it, and you have him have the mentality of, like, you're going to make, you're going to be a big league player, and this is part of working through it. Because um, I, I think there is that sort of everyday, you know, capable everyday player there. Um even if the sort of pathway to it is a little Solari or, you know, Zunino even, uh, you know, because I think the offensive talent there is is one of the more impressive uh, in the entire system. One other thing I want to add really quick, and this might change because the big league season is, uh, is being pushed back, but one another reason I wouldn't mind if he started at the big league level is because Seattle opened this year. They were supposed to open with Texas today and then Minnesota, Kansas city, Chicago. I mean, those teams aren't exactly like chock full of aces. Mm -hmm. So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit of a softer landing. It's not like 2019. And I know we lit him up, but it's not like you start the season against Chris sale and then Nathan Eovaldi. And then, um, you know, you kind of go through that buzzsaw early on where, where hitting was going to be a bigger ask. Mm-hmm. I, I just think if you're going to start with like Kansas city and the white Sox and things like that, it might be the best opportunity you've got to start him off on a little bit of a hotter streak. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for going through, uh, another five players here. Uh, obviously next week, uh, Sadly, we will not be uh, about to start the minor league season. Oh. Just pretty, pretty heartbreaking. Uh, but we will be talking through the top five prospects in the system. Uh, we'll probably have a little more clarity on what the draft is going to look like um, and, and anything else that really comes out on that front uh, we'll be covering for you guys. Um, we have a whole bunch of draft content on the site, and we'll probably start digging into that uh, once the top prospect list con- uh, concludes next week uh, as we sort of work through this time without much real uh, baseball happening in, in the U.S. So uh, thank you all for bearing with us. I know it's weird to try and get hyped about distant players in any circumstance much less when there's not baseball happening and when spring training is not happening um it sucks it sucks in a big way for all of us this is something we love doing that's why we do it but um you know we appreciate you all listening and and getting involved and giving us feedback because that that makes it a lot more fun for for us as well uh so We'll talk to you again soon next week. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Joe. Uh, anything, anything else you guys want to finish on for these uh, before we before we head out? 
I just want to uh, reiterate that it is okay to not participate in the the rewatches of games and the faux season. It depresses me personally, mm. um, and I feel like there is a big push, especially on like baseball Twitter, and obviously teams are pushing it because they need content. Mm. Um, and we probably should be, but I honestly just can't find, I'm sad and mm-hmm. I feel like losing the MLB season for however long we've lost it is a loss and it's something that you need to grieve. And I don't know, um, I don't want to get to LL live journal on on this, but yeah, it's something I'm trying to think about and process the grief and and make decisions for myself about what I feel like I am capable of doing. Right. And yeah, just not watching the games. I know, John, you're very into rewatching the games and yeah, take getting all. So it's a spectrum. Doing one or the other doesn't make you any better or worse of a fan. And um, and just remember that you are grieving the loss of something right now. So mm-hmm. be nice to I'll- yourself. I'll add one thing. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, minor leaguers are obviously going through a much tougher time than a lot of us are um, because they're out of work. They're barely getting by uh, with any paychecks. So uh, I would encourage anyone that is listening and has the wherewithal to do so, uh, go and visit Emily Walden's Twitter page. It's at Emily C. Walden. Uh, she's been handling a big minor league employment project that is helping minor leaguers uh, be gainfully employed during this time. Um, she's working with nonprofits to help support them financially in any ways possible. So uh, give back in any way that you can. And she's an excellent follow um, just to, you know, stay in the know about minor league baseball and uh, to support these guys that are having it tougher than a lot of us. Oh, and related to that, um, Adopt a Minor Leaguer is also doing um, some drives to help out individual players that reach out to him. And one is a Mariners player and is somebody who um, we've discussed, we've written about, um, who is engaged to be married and he's out of work. Obviously, his fiance, who works in the fitness industry, also out of work. Um, And then they are located in Nashville, and their house was recently damaged by the tornadoes there, which ate up all their wedding budget. So um, that's another one. You can find them at at AdoptMILBPlayer on Twitter, and um, just let them know that you're... You can DM the guy and let them know that you're donating to the Mariners Player Fund and uh, kind of help these guys get back on their feet a little bit. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. Um... Thank you for being so proactive. Thanks for taking time to talk about uh, some players and, and some potential for the future. I think it's it's really important to have things to look forward to right now, and I, I think that can be challenging. So uh, For sure. Now more than ever. Now more than ever, indeed. Um, so until next time, uh, hope you all stay safe, stay well, and go Mariners. Kate? Okay.